What we're going to do, though, before we start the message, we're going to play a game. So I think everyone's seen Wheel of Fortune before, all right? So I got Vanna back there. <clears throat> Vanna, bring me the first phrase. What do we have? Okay, we have blank happens. It's a four-letter word, okay? Blank happens. So I need a vowel. Can I hear a vowel? Oh, I. Okay, I heard an I. Let's try that. Vanna, give me an I. Oh, all right. You guys are good. Very good. Now, here's a question I have for you. How many of you people thought that I was in a different position? Raise your hand. All right. You guys are bad. You guys are really bad. Okay. Vanna, give me the rest of it. All right. Life happens. Okay. That's what I'm going to talk to you guys about today. Life happens. Now, a little background on myself. Okay. Deb and I got married in 1980. Okay, so I had life really started happening for me about 1980. I got married. I moved from Kalamazoo to Houston, Texas, which means I moved out of my home and away from my mom, who lived to take care of me. Um, I started a new job in Houston. Now, it became very apparent early on in marriage that my wife was not going to be my mom, okay? So I had a lot of growing up to do, but we moved to Houston, Texas, and one day, this was in the fall, August of 1980, we decided, hey, let's go to the zoo. We're going to go to the Houston Zoo. Okay, so we head to the Houston Zoo, and you'll see a hippo up there, and I wa what I want you to notice is the smile on that face, because I'm going to get to that. So Deb and I go to the Houston Zoo. So we're, we're newlyweds. We're probably married two, maybe three months at most, but I would guess a couple months, and we go to the Houston Zoo. As we're walking through the zoo, we come to the hippo display. And I, don't, I Googled it to see if it was still there. I don't think they have hippos there anymore. But there was a neat display, big outdoor pool, big, really pretty outdoor pool filled with blue and kind of like brown and kind of green water that the hippos were in. So they're swimming around in this pool. And then off the pool, they have like a, um, a handicap ramp. And these hippos can actually walk up the ramp and they go into a hallway. It's about a 10-foot wide hallway, and they go into an indoor pool. So it's really kind of a nice display. In that hallway, they got big, huge bars that kind of separate you from the hippo. And then there's like another railing, so you're not right next to them, but you're really close to them. All of a sudden, these hippos, they start walking up the ramp. Now, it's a hot, it's either August or September. It's cooking outside, and these hippos decide, hey, I'm going inside. And I thought, hey, good idea. Let's get out of the sun. Let's get in that hallway and watch the hippos go by. So Deb and I start heading towards that hallway. Now, there's a lot of other people get in there, too. So I'm like the first right on the end. There's a whole bunch of people on my right, and the hippos start coming in. Now, here's a couple things. One is when you look at a hippo really close, they look a lot better far away. They don't look close. They're big, okay? Now, here's where it gets bad, okay? It really, this is where I'd say life happens. So these hippos start walking in, second or third hippo, I don't remember which one, it starts going to the bathroom. So I apologize, but it starts going to the bathroom. And my guess is they just fed it a truckload of cabbage, so you, you get my drift. But it goes downhill from here, okay? This hippo's tail starts going like this, boom, boom, boom. And I see stuff hitting the wall, and it's moving, it's going like this, okay? And I turned to Deb, because my thought is, hey, like anyone else, we got to get out of here, right? So I turned to Deb, and I say, hey, we got to get out of here. She's gone. There's no one there. That hallway is 
empty. This is weird. I remember this. This is burned in my memory from 1980. I look, there's not a single person in that hallway. Then I made that fateful mistake. They always tell runners, you know, you know, when you're running and you're at that race and you don't look back, well, I turned back just to see how much space I had or time I had before I get out of there. And I'm telling you, see the face and the smile? That baby nailed me, okay? Right in the forehead. And this is, this is not a lie. Wham, wham, wham. I remember today. Wham, wham, wham. I got hit by the hippo, okay? All of a sudden, I can't believe what happened. I mean, this is just, you can't dream this stuff up. I walk outside, and being a true male, and I was in, the, you know, I was in technology. I was working for Amoco Oil Company. I saw the hippo. I saw what it was doing. I saw what its tail did, and I saw it hit me. Okay, but there's always their validity checks, right? So I remember wiping my head, and it was like, you got to smell it. Oh, is it bad? Just bad, bad, bad. So I get outside. I turn to my wife. Okay, now just put this in context. I've been married maybe two years. Excuse me, two months. I've been married probably two months. I'm expecting, it's okay, hon. Hey, we'll get you cleaned up. Don't worry about it. Here, let me help you. And she looks at me, and all she said, this is my two-month-old bride. Do you remember what you said? Don't get near me. Don't get near me. That was it. Okay. Wow, man. Thanks a lot. Okay? So, now, that's a funny story, and it's a true story. Okay? That you can tell your friends, hey, you met someone that got blasted by a hippo. Okay? Life happens, all right? And while that's a humorous story, life happens, and it's not always humorous. It's not. It's unexpected. It's not what you plan for. It's not what you want in life. It's never where you thought you were going. Okay, life happens. Sometimes it happens fast like that. You get nailed by a hippo. I see, I see Benji drop his guitar on his foot. Sometimes things happen like that. Other times things take, kind of sneak up on you. Okay, you may be struggling with addictions. I don't know what they are. It could be alcohol, drugs, or pornography, or gambling. You may be in a marriage that this was never what I planned. Your finances may be messed up. It may be nothing that you ever planned for like that. You could have health issues. In August, uh, April of last year, my back got really messed up. I went from being very active hiking and running to laying on my back on the floor. I still have in front of our couch or the indentation of our floor for me laying on it, putting my feet up. I had a hard time functioning for about 11 months. Life happens, and it happens and it's not what you plan for. So my question is, what are you going to do about it? What do you do? Now, I can go to you people, and I can say, hey, what's your favorite verse? Give me your favorite verse. And you'll hear John 3:16, for God so loved the world, or Romans 8, 28, you know, the height and depth of God's love. Okay, but the next verse that I'm going to show you, this is not one that you're going to, this, this is not one that you're going to hear. And let me just open this up again. When life happens, okay, this is John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. So this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's telling them, in this world, you will have trouble. He's not telling them, hey, you know what? In this world, you might have some trouble. He's not telling them, in this world, some of you might have trouble. He's saying, in this world, you will have trouble. And I'm going to tell you, every one of you guys are going to have trouble in this world. So what do you do about it? How do you work through that? And that's what we're going to look at today. My, what I really want to drive home the point is, what do I do about it? I spent a lot of time thinking about this while I was laying on my back. 
And what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump into the Old Testament. I can't stress how important it is to read the Old Testament, to study the Old Testament. We'll say God is the same God in the Old Testament as God is in the New Testament. Then study the Old Testament. There's so much to see. And now we're going to look through a bunch of verses. I'm going to cover a ton of scripture today. We're going to look at a bunch of verses where life happened. It was the unexpected. It wasn't the plan for. It wasn't planned. But we're going to look at the outcome of that. <clears throat> so here, and I believe all these are speaking to us. You can read these scriptures and apply them to yourself. And that's why it's so important. So the first one, we're going to jump into Exodus, okay? Now you've heard being between a rock and a hard place. I'm calling this one between an army and a wet place. Okay, so it's all a very familiar story. And these scriptures I'm going to go through are going to be very familiar to you, but I hope we look at them in a different way. So we're going to start with Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 9. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? <clears throat> we have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So let me give you a little background before I go on. We know that the Israelites, they were held captive in Egypt. We go through all those plagues, the seven plagues. And then all of a sudden we have the last plague, the angel of death, the, the firstborn is killed. And the, the Egyptians are saying, go, go, go. You can leave. We're going to actually help you get out of here. So now what you see is the, the Israelites are fleeing. They're all excited. And now here's Pharaoh. Now let me tell you what Pharaoh was really saying, okay? Here's what Pharaoh was really saying. Idiots. We're idiots. What do we just do? We had the greatest brick-making organization in all of Europe and Asia. We cranked out so many bricks, and we let the people go. We didn't even have, we didn't have to give them supplies. We made them get their own stuff. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He wanted his workers back. So let's read on. So he took the chariot, made ready, took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped near the sea, near Phi-Hahirath, opposite Baal-Zephon. <clears throat> Life was happening for the Israelites. I know you the story, but we're going to pick a few of these apart. They're free. They're finally out of bondage. They're excited. They've left Egypt, and now all of a sudden, I got the Red Sea here, and I have this Egyptian army coming this way. Right? God had been leading them by the cloud during the day and fire at night, and all of a sudden, they're stuck there. This was not what they planned for. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave you there for a minute. We'll come back to this, but I want to jump to a couple more, and then we'll come back. So now let's look. We're going to jump ahead a little time. Okay? We're going to go to the time of Elisha. So remember, Elijah was first, then there was Elisha. Elisha is, is talking to this, this woman comes up to him. This is what I call, the, it, the story is the widow's olive oil, but this is really a financial problem. So the wife, this is starting in 2 Kings chapter 4. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take two of my boys as slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me what you have in your house. Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Okay, so for this woman, life happened. Okay, my assumption is this is fairly quick. Her husband dies. 
all of a sudden the creditors are after her and they're going to take her son as slaves. And I can guarantee you, and this is not in scripture, but I can guarantee you that is not what that woman planned for life. Okay? There was no plan for her to have her sons go into slavery for her to be a widow. That was not what she planned. Not what she expected at all. Okay, and I'm going to take one more, all right? This is really being what I call at the end of your rope. Okay, and this one's coming from 1 Kings 17. Now, this is with Elijah now. So now I backed up earlier and at the time of Elijah. Now, this is when King Ahab was ruling over Israel. King Ahab was one of the wickedest kings of all of Israel. His wife was Jezebel. And Elijah had just told, um, excuse me, Elijah had just told King Ahab that, hey, there's going to be no rain or no dew on the earth except at my word. So things are starting to dry up. So let's look at 1 Kings 17. Starting in verse 7, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, what would you bring me? A little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Okay, that sounds pretty drastic, okay? Life happened. Here's a woman, and again, time's a factor here we don't always see because we read scriptures, things happen that we read them very fast, but there's time here. This woman wasn't there eating, having plenty of food, doing great, and all of a sudden the next day, hey, I'm out of food, guess I'm going to die. I believe there was a lot of starvation going on. The, the water had dried up, and this woman, I believe this scripture literally, this woman was down to her last loaf of bread and olive oil. She was slowly starving to death, and she was going to die. So here's my question. What do you do? Okay, We have all these struggles in life today. Again, whether it's addictions, whether it's marriage it's not right, whether it's health issues, finances, your kids aren't doing the right thing, job's not going the way it's supposed to be, you're in a rut. What do you do? Okay. So here's my first statement. When life happens, you don't give up. Okay. I know that sounds simple, but when life happens, first, don't give up. Right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and look at these same three scriptures again. We're going to jump back, and I want to at least finish them out to see what happened. Because the key here, step one, the most important thing, don't give up. <clears throat> so let's jump back to the... Uh, Israelites in the army. This is, again, one of my favorite stories. I enjoy it so much. Starting again in Exodus 14, this time chapter, uh, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it to dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and clouded the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. 
There's the first smart thing they said. Okay, the Lord's fighting against them. They saw that. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them, swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. So here's the first message. Don't give up. God delivered. God protected. God does the same for you today as he did in the Old Testament. God will deliver you. God will protect you. God will provide for you. Don't give up. All right, let's go look at the widow and the financial with the olive oil. Okay, this is back to Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 3. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. As each is filled, put it to one side. She left them and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Again, we say God is the same in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. God provided, God delivers, God protects. This, this widow could pay off her debts and she lived on what was left. And it doesn't say she just lived a few days. My assumption is she sent her kids to college or trade school. Because guess what? She lived on what was left. God provides, okay? You can't give up. And that's the biggest thing, don't give up. Let's look at the last one now. And again, this is back in 1 Kings 17. <clears throat> This is Elijah with a woman at the end of a rope. Remember, she goes home to have her last meal and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home. Do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me out of what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. God delivers. God provides. God protects. God is the same in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. You can't give up. You can't lose hope. So let's say in each of these the person gave up didn't have hope. So let's look at the Israelites in the Red Sea. Okay? What happens if they just gave up? They said, there's no hope. We're done for. Okay? My assumption is what would have happened? Well, the Egyptians would have come. They probably would have hacked up a whole bunch of Israelites, and then they would have dragged the rest back to Egypt, and they'd be making bricks again, and God would deliver them some other way. Okay? What happens if the woman with all, that where Elisha said, hey, get all the jars of oil, gave up? Okay? Well, she probably said there's no hope. Her sons would be off as slaves, right? You got to have hope. You can't give up. You have to have hope and cling to what God tells you. And what if on the last one, okay, I got a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil left. I think I give up. I'm just going to eat it. Well, my guess is she would have died. Her and her son would have died. She would have given up. And that's the problem is we want to give up. 
we want to say there's no way out. I'm stuck. At church here last year, I think it was last fall, we did a uh, Freedom Series seminar. It was on a kingdom parable. It was um, Bob Hamp that did it. He was based out of Texas, I think, in the Fort, Fort Worth area. He made a few comments just about satanic attack, and I thought it was very interesting and very relevant. First, what he said, he takes us in the Western world. So we're in the United States. There's very heavy satanic attack in the United States, but it's not, and every one of you is, gets, gets under it. Satan attacks. I believe in all my heart that Satan exists and he's attacking us. And it's not like what you think, because here, here is the satanic attack that so much of us struggle with. I'm not good enough. God doesn't love me. I'm stuck. I'm never getting out of this mess. Nobody cares. It's never going to change. I give up. There's no hope for me. Those are lies of Satan. And if you buy into those things, you are buying into the lies of Satan, and you're giving up. You cannot give up, because those are nothing more than a lie. Okay? And I'm going to jump to a couple other New Testament scriptures. Oh, hang on a second. I want to do one other thing, because this is where it actually gets good. All right? Let's jump to one more story. We're going to take the walls of Jericho. And again, everyone's very familiar with this story, but I'm going to show you what I think is just a little bit twist, a little bit different twist on this. So starting in Joshua 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. So let me tell you what's going on. Moses has died, so now Joshua is leading the Israelites, and God tells Joshua, now it's time to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. Now you remember that they sent slaves into the promised land, we had the slaves that went to Jericho. They stayed in Rahab, the prostitute's house. They checked out Jericho, and then they came back. So now the Israelites are going in. Now, the people in the land knew what was going on. They knew the Israelites were coming. And again, we're looking at 2 to 3 million Israelites. Based on a couple of earlier verse, or chapters in Exodus, they said there were 600,000 men, not counting women and children. So most theologians, when you look at commentaries, say we got 2 to 3 million Israelites. Okay, so they're crossing the Jordan and they're going to Jericho. Now, I did a little bit of reading on Jericho. It's not like it's got just a, like a thin walls around it and stuff like that. They had pretty solid, very solid earthen walls, and they actually had layered rings of walls. So they had one big wall, an inner area, another set of walls. <clears throat> Jericho also had a spring flowing in it, so they could really hole up and stay tight. Okay? So the Israelites are coming. And they're coming up to the walls of Jericho. And this is where I, it really spoke a lot to me. Starting in verse 2, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Now, I'd like to stand and say, Man, if I were back there, I'm, I'm mature, spiritually mature, and I'd be great. But if I heard that, the Lord said, Hey, look, I'm giving you Jericho. I'm giving you his king. I've, no, he said, I've already given you Jericho, its king, and its fighting men. First thing I'd probably do is I'm a polite person. I'd go, okay, Lord, say again. Sorry, I didn't hear you. I'd look at Jericho, and I'd look back and say, hey, I didn't hear you. Hey, I've already given you Jericho. I've given you the city, the king, and its fighting men. Now, I know what I'd do next. I'd say, Lord, you created me, I know that, and you gave me hay fever. And my ears plug up all the time, and I don't hear good. So can you tell me one more time, what did you just say? See, I've given you Jericho. I've given you the king and its fighting men. And here's my message to you. God is saying to you that today.
today. He is saying, see, I've given you victory over that. You already have victory. Okay? When you get caught in those lies that I'm not good enough, God can't get me out of this. This is really screwed up. I'll, it'll never change. You are buying into a lie of Satan, and God's telling you, I've already given victory. You have victory over whatever you're struggling with. I don't know what that struggle is. I don't care how bad that struggle is. You have victory over that struggle already today. And you have to claim that. You can't give up. You can't listen to the lies of Satan. And if you look at the New Testament, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have victory. Romans 8, 37. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. 2 Corinthians 2.14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and make himself, make, maketh manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. You have victory. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You have to claim that. When I say don't give up hope, don't quit, don't stop, what I mean is you cling to God, you seek God, you read his word, you pray to God, you, look, you listen to God, you seek God and you cling to that hope. Whatever you're struggling with, whenever life happens, you have victory already. But one more thing, you got one more step. When life happens, don't give up and you got to take action. You just can't sit and do nothing. And what I want to do is I'm going to look one more time at those verses because what I want to point out is you have to give, you can't give up, but you have to take action. And first, we're going to start with the walls of Jericho. So the Lord's already told Joshua, I've given you the city. I've delivered the city to you. The victory is already yours. And then he goes on to say in Joshua 6, starting in verse 3, march around the city once with all the men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound the long blast of the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. What did they have to do? God already delivered the city of Jericho to them, and he told them to walk around it 13 times. Okay? 13 times they had to walk around the city. Okay, how about going back to the Red Sea between the army and the wet place? And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it to dry land. God told Moses, take your staff and raise your arm up. Okay, so, God, so Moses took action for that sea to part. What about the widow's olive oil? Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. She couldn't just sit there. She had to go get jars. And then the last one, Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and for your sons. So let's say Moses said, you know, I know you can do it. You don't need me, Lord. You don't need me, need me to hold my arms up. And you know what? That's a true statement. God doesn't need any of us. But God commanded Moses to lift his arms. So if Moses said, you know what? I'm tired. We've been going across forever. These Egyptians are following us. I think I'm just going to sit this one out. Take care of the Red Sea for me, Lord. You can do it without me. 
Okay, this is not in scripture, but here's my guess. I'm not thinking that Red Sea was going to part on him. All right? Moses had to take action. Okay, what about the widow's olive oil? Okay, when, when, um, when he said, hey, go get empty jars. Now, again, the widow could say, you know what? I'm just tired of this whole mess. You know what, Lord, you take care of it. I got one jar at home. Take care of it. And here's my guess. One jar would have gotten full. She may or may not have paid off her creditors. Kids probably would have been slaves again. And the question is, you got to take action. She had to go out and collect jars. And there's a step of faith there that she had to take action based on the fact of the hope that she has in God, that God's going to deliver. Same with the last one. Okay, I got just enough flour and a little bit of oil that I can make one loaf of bread. And you know what? I'm awful hungry. I think I'm just going to eat it myself. I'm not going to do it. And you know what? I think she would have had her, her term of a last supper and probably would have died. Here's my question to you. What is God telling you to do? Okay, Because here's where I really like the, the walls of Jericho. Some of you guys are on lap one. Okay, You're struggling with something. And I'm telling you, don't give up. Cling to God. God will deliver you. God will provide. But you're on lap one, and you've got 12 more laps to go. Some of you guys are on lap 12 or lap 13, and you feel like giving up. And I'm telling you, don't give up. You stop on lap 12, okay? And it's the same, same with the walls of Jericho. So Joshua gets around on the 12th time and thinks, I'm tired. This is a long ways around this city. I tried to find out how far it was, but I couldn't. But it's a long ways. It's a long ways. I think I'm going to sit down. And you know what, Lord? You sure don't need me walking around the city to make the walls fall down. And you know what? That's a true statement. God did not need 13 laps of Israelites going around the city of Jericho to make the walls fall down, but God commanded them to do that. If you guys are on lap 12, keep going. Don't stop. And this is the big struggle I had. It's the time factor. We read Scripture and we think things happen right away, but that's really not how they always happen. You can look at Joseph. Think of Joseph, okay? Joseph, son of Jacob. Joseph in his technicolor dream coat, right? Joseph tells all his brothers... Hey, you guys are going to be bowing down to me. I'm the man, right? And, you don't really, and it's actually they were big brothers. You guys are going to be bowing down to me. I'm the man. Okay, you don't really, you don't do that to your bigger brothers because one, they plotted to kill him. So if I look at snippets of life, just little periods of Joseph's life, I see him in a cistern. He's in a pit, right? Well, I see him as a slave to the Midianites. Then I look at him and think, well, he's in jail now because Potiphar's wife accused him and sent him off to jail. So we look at those times, but a lot of time went by. Okay? Joseph was in jail for over two years. He interpreted the king's dream, and then he was in jail for, or in prison for another two years before he did it again. Time goes by, and my statement to you is don't give up. I wish I could tell you, God's healing you instantly this minute. I don't have an answer for that. I went 11 months laid up with my back. I can stand here in front of you today saying I'm healed. Praise God. God delivered me. I don't have pain. I'm back to what I was doing. And it's only by the grace of God. But I'm telling you, I spent a lot of time laying there thinking, what should I be doing? Should I be doing something? I tried everything. I tried chiropractors. I got put in this machine I called a rack. They strap you around your waist. They strap you around your chest. And it pulls you apart. I tried acupuncture. I had some lady holding her hands over me. All I could think of was, hey, I got the Holy Spirit in me. Don't even waste your time. And nothing's getting through that. Yet... All I can tell you, here's what I know for sure. Don't give up. You cling. 
to God. You cling to the message. You cling that God will provide you. God will protect you. God will deliver you. You cling to that. You listen for God. And what God's telling you to do, like I said, if you're on lap 10, keep going. If you're just starting out lap 2, keep going. If you're just starting lap 13, keep going. Don't stop. Don't give up. The last part I want to tell you is back to John 16:33. Not like I'd say my favorite verse, but in this world you have trouble. But let me give you the whole verse. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. And then look at John 10:10. 10, 10. John 10:10, 10, 10, one of my favorite verses. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's talking about Satan. This is the Lord speaking and he's saying Satan's coming to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. God wants you to have abundant life. God wants to fill your life with joy and blessings. Don't give up. Cling to God. Whatever struggle you're going, there is no struggle too big for God. There is nothing that God can't fix, God can't heal, God can't cure, God can't take care of. There is nothing. I don't care what addiction it is. I don't care how bad your finances are. I don't know what your health problems are. I don't know how bad your kids are or struggles you have. God can deliver you. Don't give up. You cling to God. Seek God. Listen to God. And how do I listen to God? I read his word. Okay? I pray. I seek godly counsel. I listen to God, and then I take action. Don't give up. Take action. God is waiting there. God will open up the storehouses of heaven. God will bless you abundantly.